0: This is at New York Eye Doc, a.k.a. Dr. Raymond D, a.k.a. Dr. Damaris. And today I have yet another guest for you. She received her OD degree at the Southern California College of Optometry. She completed a residency, an ocular disease residency at the VA Los Angeles Ambulatory Care Center. She is currently an assistant professor at Marshall B. Ketchum University, and she's also a fellow of the American Academy of Optometry. You may know her as one-third of at Women in Vision. That's at Women underscore in underscore Vision on Instagram. Please welcome my special guest today, Dr. Lisa Wall. Yay! Yay! Welcome to the show!
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here.
0: This is so exciting. So, I think it's really cool that you're a fellow. What inspired you to start all that? Yeah, so I definitely started
1: thinking about it while I was doing my residency in ocular disease. As part of your residency, you have to go to the American Academy of Optometry and do a presentation or a poster. And I think just being there and in the spirit of academia, it really puts you in the mindset of furthering yourself and furthering your career. And it was just kind of one of the last things I wanted to challenge myself with before becoming a full fledged practicing optometrist. What academy meeting was it at? You know, it was at Anaheim. And I want to say that was two years ago. I am from Southern California. So I wanted to do it at a meeting that was going to be local. So I didn't have to worry about you know, traveling accommodations, jet lag or anything like that. So the timing kind of worked out perfectly for me.
0: So for those podcast listeners who don't know, an FAAO is basically an acronym at the end of your name. So it goes OD comma FAO. But really what it is, it's a symbol of recognition by your colleagues that you're a knowledgeable and experienced professional who has met the highest standards of professional competence in eye care. What I know is that there's a poster, or you can choose if you want to do a case report. And do you have to do an oral exam of some sorts?
1: You do. So the way that it works is it's Mm -hmm. based off of a point system, and you need 50 points total before you can apply to take your oral exam. And each case report or poster that you present at an approved meeting counts towards 10 points. A residency counts as 20 points. So the way that I did it was I did a residency that was 20 points. And then I did two case reports and a poster. So that totaled 50 points. You don't have to do a residency to do an FAO. I actually know quite a few people who did not do a residency and just wrote five case reports or accrued their 50 points in in a different way that didn't involve a residency. But having that extra 20 points from a residency certainly helped me.
0: How did you feel during did you have like to do present in front of a panel? What was that like? So,
1: in retrospect, like everything, I thought, oh, it wasn't that bad. But definitely in the months leading up to the oral exam, I was so 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 nervous because they can ask you about any of the topics that you wrote about during for your case report, and anything is fair game. So, it was really hard to study and to prepare for because you just have no idea what they're going to ask you. And plus, it's an oral exam, and there's always some element of nervousness to being able to perform on the spot.
0: What was your case report on?
1: One of them was on subclavian steel syndrome. One of them was on... The... what's
0: oh, Wait a minute. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> so
1: it's, it's, a, it's a vascular condition. So basically, okay. blood ends up being redirected from the brain to to another part of the body. So it results in ischemia in the eye. So you'll see a lot of the same effects as say, um, like a transient ischemic attack in the eye or loss of blood in the eye. Um, And I had a patient when I was during my residency at the VA who had this condition and optometrists were instrumental in arriving at this diagnosis for this patient. It's very, very rare. I saw it during residency and I'll probably never see it again. The other report was on the systemic effects of lupus. And that was based off of a patient that I saw after I graduated who presented to our clinic with uveitis, which is an inflammation inside the eye. And it was recurrent and nobody could figure out what was causing it. And we ended up setting this patient out for blood work. And it turns out that that inflammation inside her eye was actually the first presenting sign of lupus.
0: No other signs, like the butterfly rash? Nope, not
1: not at that moment. Um, And the last one was based off of a senior research project that I presented a poster on at Arvo that was based on the effects of the volume of artificial tears on contrast sensitivity, which is really random. I know. And I don't really do anything (laughs) in psychophysics anymore. Um, That was just kind of the first poster that I did as a student. And it seemed really relevant at the time, but (laughs) it got me my 10 points.
0: Good. I love that. I love that you're so into academia and you're really passionate about research and doing all these different things. Did you always know you were going to go down this route or like at what year in optometry school did you figure that this is what drives you?
1: You know, I've always thought that research was interesting. Um, My background has always been science heavy. But to be honest with you, I never thought that I would ever pursue a career in academia. And it really wasn't until I was doing my residency. So after I graduated from optometry school, that I even thought that academia was going to be a career path for me. I entered optometry thinking I was going to go into private practice. That was always the goal. Um, But things change along the way. And I think that research is really, really interesting. And it's really exciting to be part
0: of these new discoveries. You're an investigator in a bunch of research studies, right?
1: I spent a long time working in ophthalmology, so I was a co-investigator for several LASIK studies and um, some corneal inlay studies for presbyopia. Currently at this college, we just started a study on microdosed atropine. We just started that last year, and we're expecting to complete it in 2024.
0: Long oh time. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah you're in it for the long term but Mm -hmm. that's so cool that you're doing something about myopia control so is this the chaperone myopia study how is this different from the lamp study or what is what are kind of your goals and how would we end up hopefully implementing this in clinic
1: yeah good question um this study looks at a device that sends a dose of a microdose of atropine into the eye. So instead of being in the traditional form of an eye drop that's in a bottle that you squeeze into your eye, this is a device that sprays a really, really, really light mist into the eye. So the volume of medicine that goes into the eye is much, much, much less than what would be dispensed out of a bottle. It's still the same concentrations that you would use. So our study right now is using 0.01 and 0.1% atropine. It's just in much, much, much less volume. And as we know, when you put an eye drop in, the whole eye drop doesn't get absorbed into the eye. A lot of the drop trickles down your face, um, and you don't really need that huge volume of medication to get the effect. That's what we're thinking. So that's why we're exploring a microdose. Plus, for kids, it's a lot easier to have a little bit of mist sprayed into their eye that they can't feel. Than to have to go through the drama of instilling an eye drop in their eye every night. If, <laughs> if we've, it, you know, every, we've all seen kids, and sometimes it can be a real struggle to get those dilating drops in. So we are exploring other ways to get medicine in the eye that aren't as uh, traumatizing for, for kids. Using these microdosing um, instruments with other eye drops, too, like glaucoma drops for older patients that we may see on the market as well.
0: Does this spray look just like that tropicamide spray or that's kind of what I'm thinking? It it
1: looks totally different. It looks like kind of like a little box um, with a little light. It looks kind of high tech, actually. It looks really, really sleek. It doesn't look like medicine at all. Shiny little white box, like the color of like an iPhone or something.
0: Maybe you can do it in different colors and make it enticing for the kids. That's a great
1: idea. Yes. We'll <laughs> let them put stickers on it and decorate it, um, you know, personalize a little bit.
0: Yeah. And hopefully increase patient compliance. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure, yeah, with drops, kids and parents even end up getting frustrated. But something needs to be done about the myopia epidemic. You, What are your thoughts on the whole myopia epidemic? Um,
1: I definitely think that myopia control is going to be a huge part of our profession. It already is such a hot topic now, and uh, myopia is a huge problem, and I think traditionally we've thought of myopia as just a refractive status, but actually, as we know, um, the risk for certain diseases, like retinal problems, glaucoma, and other diseases increases with people who have myopia. I think people are going to change their mindset about myopia as not just a refractive condition, but an actual pathology.
0: In practice, do you use any atropine treatment on your patients right now?
1: We do. Um, Atropine has been used for decades um, in other countries, and we've just started using it recently in our clinic, maybe within the last year. So in addition to having the option of being part of the study, which we offer to our patients, um, we can also just do it uh, outside of the study as part of normal practice. In our practice right now, we use atropine and we use multifocal contact lenses.
0: The only thing that does become a challenge, though, is compounding pharmacies, I think, finding that and finding like an affordable option for patients. Is it mm-hmm. easier to, do, to provide that care at an institution then?
1: That has been one of the biggest downsides to providing atropine is finding a good compounding pharmacy. We have found one that that works really well with us that actually distributes nationwide. So maybe I can provide that information with you at some point that you could share with your listeners. But I think as more studies come out, I think um, with the potential for FDA approval, I think that it'll be a lot easier to obtain atropine, but you're absolutely right. It's hard to find a compounding pharmacy um, that is able to produce a good quality product. But I would say most, I would say Atrium probably costs between maybe $30 to $60 to $80 a month, depending on the pharmacy. So it's not too bad.
0: Since you are involved in research, how have ophthalmologists, in your opinion, received Mm -hmm. this information about myopia study? Are they embracing myopia control?
1: I think it's so new. It's a little bit off of their radar. I don't think they're against it, but I do certainly think that myopia control is a very strong area for optometrists to develop in that most ophthalmologists are not really concerned with. A lot of them, in my experience, have been more concerned with the surgery aspect or the pathology aspect, rather than preventative. Um, So I think it's just not really on their radar. I think they're pretty neutral about it. And if anything, I think it would be positive, because it's for the benefit of all of our patients.
0: Yeah, that's so true. I didn't think of it that way. Yes, yeah, so Dr. Wall, I saw that you were involved in the Ocular Surface Academy. What exactly is that? Do you do workshops?
1: Right, so Ocular Surface Academy is a continuing education product I'm working on with Dr. Scott Schachter. He's an optometrist who is very, very well-known in the dry eye world, and another well-known ophthalmologist, Dr. Peter Pham who developed a product called Zocular, which is an ochre-based blepharitis treatment, which we could talk more about later. But Ocular Surface Academy is a four-hour continuing education uh, seminar that we hold in the California Central Coast. It takes place at a winery, which is always really, really fun. And it's a combination of lectures and hands-on workshops that are specifically for the treatment and management of dry eye. And more specifically, how to manage those things in a private practice setting. I do a workshop on scleral lenses, how to fit scleral lenses, and then we do a wet lab uh, with a live patient. And we also do demonstrations of other dry eye treatments, such as tear care, Zocular, and other uh, meibomian gland expression products.
0: Yeah, what exactly is Zocular?
1: So, Zocular was developed by Dr. Pham for the treatment of blepharitis, Demodex, MGD, and it's a proprietary Okra based solution. Um, And Zocular comes in a variety of forms. There's one that is an in office treatment that is basically a scrub that you do on the patient's eyelashes in office to get rid of stubborn blepharitis or Demodex um, or any bacteria or microorganisms that are on the eyelashes. And you can supplement that treatment with at-home products like gels that the patient can apply to their eyelashes or wipes that they can use to clean their lashes or remove
0: makeup. How is that different from Blephex?
1: It <laughs> is as effective or more effective in my personal experience and very comfortable for the patient. You don't even have to use Preparacane to perform the treatment on the patient, which makes it really, really great for those squeamish patients and also for kids who have ocular surface problems.
0: Is it ever used in combination with LipiFlow in your experience?
1: Yes, all the time.
0: In terms of the scleral lenses, mm-hmm. so like if you would give us a refresher, how does that aid in dry eye or in certain types of Specific dry eye, maybe in Sjogren's, is it used more commonly? Definitely for, yeah, good question.
1: Definitely for aqueous deficient dry eye. um, It basically creates a reservoir of moisture over the cornea, so it's great for anyone who basically can't produce enough tears. Because the way the scleral lens works is you fill it up with solution, you put it on the eye, and that solution stays over the eye and bathes the eye in moisture over the course of the whole day.
0: Ocular surface truly is the future. I love how everyone's getting more educated and more involved in terms of that. Mm-hmm. And I went to a CE recently, where they said that our role as optometrists is, like you said, it's expanding, and we are trying to provide more preventative care. But it's also in certain ways, our job to keep the eye healthy so that we can keep ophthalmologists in in the operating room and a big way of doing that is by making sure that all of our patients have the most optimal ocular surface health possible mm-hmm. is does ocular surface academy ever go to different conferences?
1: No. As of right now, we only started doing this a couple years ago, so we're relatively new. We did two meetings last year, and this year we're hoping to do three. And we always do it in the Pismo Beach area. And I haven't thought of doing it elsewhere. That's really a great question. I I just have to say I don't know. But we love the concept of doing CE in paradise, basically. So CE at the winery. (laughs) It makes it so much easier, you know, to wake up on a Sunday and to go do that. So I'm sure we could take it somewhere else. But the wine is is a big aspect of the <laughs> event. And California has fantastic wine. So I don't know.
0: True. Maybe it's, it's better for us to go to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got to meet you through at Women In Vision. So if you type Women In Vision or The account is at women underscore in underscore vision. That's how I got to meet you. And that's how I got to learn about you. And I believe you reached out to me and we did a really fun feature. How did you get involved in all of that? So I
1: worked for ophthalmology for several years after finishing my residency. And I got to meet a lot of really, really interesting people. um, Ophthalmic techs, other ophthalmologists, uh, salespeople, and I realized that there was a really big need for mentorship amongst women in the field of vision, and also to establish a good rapport between optometrists and ophthalmologists. I met Asha Bala. She's a corneal specialist. She's an ophthalmologist through. Nicole, she is our third leg of Women in Vision, who's an ophthalmic tech. And we all had dinner one night and we kind of discussed all of the difficulties that we've had being women in the profession um, and things that we wish we had when we were, you know, coming up, going to school, new grads. And so we decided to create Women in Vision to help support mentorship between young optometrists and more established optometrists, and also between ophthalmologists and optometrists and actually just anybody in vision ophthalmic techs opticians salespeople everyone who's involved in vision
0: iq professionals span a whole range of different careers and different uh, educational paths and all that i absolutely love what you're doing if you'd like to share what kind of difficulties have you faced as a as a woman
1: in optometry we as women have a lot to think about as career professionals um, it's not just optometrists but anybody who's a career woman you have to kind of navigate your personal life navigate family duties children all of that you know I think that's a challenge for any woman who's a professional sometimes it's tough to be taken seriously Uh, When you're a woman, I think that there are still some, you know, older colleagues or even patients sometimes who may tend to question your skill set because you're a young woman or you're a young woman of color. You know, sometimes you don't get the benefit of the doubt that, say, an older man in the profession may have.
0: That's just how it is. And Mm -hmm. you just reminded me of something. Uh, I do vision screenings at schools, Mm -hmm. and today I went somewhere and... What ended up happening? So I went to the school. I was already, like, setting up, like, my lane. And then a teacher came in from the school, and she didn't know who the doctor was. And then she said something of, like, oh, we're still waiting for them to come in. We're still waiting for the doctor to come in. And I'm like, I'm right here. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. so- It's like it was me and she's like, oh, you know, Mm -hmm. you're young and you're a woman. And it also happens at work, too. They'll be like, is the doctor in today? Oh, when does he see patients? And Mm it's like, oh, it's not he, you know, but it's like the older, older times, older things, things are changing now. Yeah, definitely. And I would say as
1: a young woman, that happens almost every single day. I think we can all say that probably every day that we're in patient care, something like that happens. Maybe not that extreme, but I often get questions. Oh, well, how long have you been doing this? Where are you from? Uh, you get these questions <laughs> of people who, yeah, and, and they're, they're basically just That's trying true. to figure out like, when did you graduate? Or you'll have people say, oh, you look like you just finished high school. Or, you know, you get comments like that all the time, which you can either take as a compliment because you look young, but sometimes the intent is not nice.
0: Oh, yeah, I hear you with that. You can absolutely tell intent. depending on the intent. Sometimes I'll be like, well, you're like my 10,000th patient probably. So, Right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's
1: tough things. and sometimes it makes you question your skills a little bit. But that's why it helps to have some type of mentorship or just to be able to vent with other women who are going through the exact same things that you are just for some reassurance, you know, or to get some tips on what to say to back to people who may have those types of negative comments towards you.
0: And then with your page, it's really beautiful seeing everybody support each other and everybody telling their stories, telling their backgrounds, and even like we're sharing right now, seeing that we have similar experiences that we can discuss and move forward and make the future a little brighter for our future colleagues.
1: You know, sometimes we all need a reminder of why we started doing this and to know that other people are going through the same things that we are. And I think seeing another woman who you admire is really, really inspiring and helps you or maybe motivates you to achieve your own goals as well. That's what we hope to get out of the page. And that's why we try to pick women who have inspirational stories to share with our followers so that maybe they'll inspire someone to do something with their career as well.
0: That's kind of why I have this podcast The more years that we're – Excuse me, the more years that we uh, are from graduating, we do constantly need a reminder about why we're passionate about this. And when we see other inspiring stories, other inspiring women, it just drives us and just reinvigorates everything. I know, like hearing about all the educational studies and all the research that you do, it's just like, wow, I really should go dive in a little deeper into that. And it just, you know, it, it uh, gets me ready for the week. What would you tell your younger self if you were like just graduating? Like what?
1: You know, I think that when we were younger in college and on this path to optometry, we all kind of had our lives planned out. And like I said, I was all about private practice when I first applied to optometry school. And then that totally changed. And I, and for the better, I think I found a place for myself in this profession that suits me really well and if you had asked me you know 10 years ago when I when I started the path topometry, I would have never guessed I would have ended up here so I would say that you should be always be on the lookout for new opportunities and try new things that you that might make you uncomfortable or things that you never thought that you would do because you never know what you'll like or what may be the right fit I also think that for new grads, it's important. I I always tell my my fourth year students, you're never going to find the perfect job right after school. And it's okay to piece things together. We all had to piece, you know, a couple days at this practice, a couple days here, a couple days there. Take that as an opportunity to discover yourself as a doctor and find what you like and what you don't like and have a goal that five in five years, you'll be able to land or to make your dream job, but don't feel pressure to get your dream job right after graduating. Nobody does. Yeah,
0: absolutely. That was just mentioned in the previous episode too, your first job is not gonna be your last job and we have to be kinder to ourselves. That's one of my resolutions this year. Things will work out as long as you have a long-term goal We Mm -hmm. all got this.
1: Mm -hmm. And another thing is that I think as young optometrists, we're going to see a lot of changes in our career. There's so many exciting things on the horizon, like myopia control, like dry eye, like co-managing surgeries with ophthalmologists. Our scope of practice is constantly expanding, and we need to embrace that. And we also need to stay up to date on all of these things. So I think it's really important to attend CEs, to actually pay attention, try to get a clinical pearl out of every lecture that you go to and keep your skill set up because we're all going to need it in another 10, 20 years.
0: Words of wisdom. And I think I added, I just added a new resolution too. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can our listeners find you?
1: So you can follow me at Lisa Wall O D on Instagram, and that's spelled L I S A W A H L O D at Instagram. Our Women in Vision handle is at Women underscore in underscore Vision. You can sign up for Ocular Surface Academy at www.ocularsurfaceacademy.com, and you can check out more about Women in Vision at www.womeninvision.com.
0: Amazing. Again, thank you so much for taking your time to do this. And we'll sign off now. Say bye, everybody. Goodbye.